0: I want to read to you a little thing from December 6, 1999, issue of Time Magazine. Author and Duke University professor of English Reynolds Price wrote the following. The memory of any stretch of years eventually resolves to a list of names. And one of the useful ways of recalling uh, the past two millenniums is by listing the people who acquired great power. Muhammad, Catherine the Great, Marx, Gandhi, Hitler, Roosevelt, stalin and Mao quickly come to mind there's no question that each of these figures changed the lives of millions and evoked responses from worship through hatred it would require much exotic calculation however to deny that the single most powerful figure not merely in these two millenniums but in all of human history has been jesus of nazareth Not only is the prevalent system of denoting the years based on an erroneous 6th century calculation of the date of his birth, but a serious argument can be made that no one else's life has proved remotely as powerful and enduring as that of Jesus. Who is Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus That is probably the most important question you could ever answer in your entire life. Who is Jesus Christ? To you, who do you say that he is? Who do you believe that Jesus is? Again, that is the most important question you will ever answer in your entire life. We have been talking on Sunday mornings about faith's fundamentals. It's... uh, A sermon series based on a book of the same title by Dr. Jack Cottrell. He is a professor of theology at Cincinnati Christian University in Cincinnati, Ohio. And he talks about the seven things that are essential to the belief system of Christianity. And today we are talking, we're actually combining two chapters into one due to a thing I did a couple weeks ago. But we are talking about how Jesus is our Savior, the Son of God. So we're talking about two very important uh, matters when it comes to discussing who is Jesus Christ. He is our Savior. He is the Son of God. But what does that mean? What does it mean that Jesus is our Savior, the Son of God? That's what we're going to take time and and talk about today. If you would grab a Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 16. We are going to begin with Matthew 16 verses 15 and 16. Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 through 16. Jesus asked his disciples, well, who do people say the Son of Man is? Verse 14, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the, the living God. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You may hear that from time to time here as when people come forward and put their faith and trust in Jesus and they make a public confession of faith and we have them repeat those very words. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. The very words that Peter said two two millennium ago. Now, just to be clear, when he says that you are the Christ, he is referring to Jesus's title. We say Jesus Christ, and some people may think, well, maybe that's his last name. Christ is not Jesus's last name. There's a, a, foot, a quarterback for the University of Notre Dame. His name is Dane Christ, and it's spelled C-H-R-I-S-T. He is not a long-lost relative of Jesus, <laughs> although the hopes of Notre Dame fans everywhere are, are resting on his right arm, but different kind of hope altogether. No, Christ is Jesus' title. It literally means anointed one or the Messiah. It is a a direct translation from the Greek word Christos. And the Hebrew word that is used uh, as Christos is Mashiach, which literally means the Messiah, the anointed one. Jesus is the Christ. It's the first blank on your outline. If you have a bulletin, uh, if you got a bulletin on your way in this morning, on the third page is an outline for today's sermon. And the first blanks on your outline is Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. He is the anointed one. He is the Messiah. He is the one that God promised he would send to save people from their sins. That's who Jesus is. He is the Messiah, the Christ. The second blank on your outline is that Jesus died for our sins. Jesus died for our sins. That is what Jesus did. In 1 Peter chapter uh, 3, verse 18, Peter wrote, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. That is why Jesus died. He died for our sins sins. In 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4, wrote, Paul wrote, for what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The Bible tells us that Jesus died for our sins. He took the punishment that our sins deserve. I'm going to pick on somebody a little bit this morning. My brother's here. He's two years younger than I am. When we were kids, he got into trouble a lot. Okay, I mean, like all the time. I, I wasn't much better, but uh, I was a lot better. Anyway, um, my brother got into trouble quite a bit. And, and, and again, so did I, but uh, it's neither here nor there. Um, Mom had a, 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 a paddle um, called the Motivator. It's called the Motivator. And I remember there were times when I got motivated. There were times when my brother got motivated. And I remember as I I overheard the motivational speech that I would think to myself, I wish I could take his punishment for him. As any good, loyal, honorable older brother would do, I thought to myself, I I wish I could take his punishment for him. I I didn't do it. I'm not stupid. (laughs) But you see, that's what Jesus did. When it said the Bible says that he died for our sins, he took the punishment that our sins deserve. He took our punishment on himself when he went to the cross and he died for our sins. He took that punishment for us. It doesn't matter what sins... We have a problem, and, and our sin, our problem is sin. We all commit sins, and it doesn't matter what those sins are. It could be lying, it could be stealing, it could be cheating, it could be adultery, it could be lust, it could be uh, gossip, it could be pride. There's all kinds of sins that we commit, that we disobey God's Word, and we commit these sins against Him and against other people, and those sins have to be punished. The sins that we commit have to be punished. And Jesus said... I'll take the punishment for the people Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says for the wages of sin is death sin deserves death sin deserves death someone has to die because of sin Jesus said I will die because there is hope found in the second half Of Romans 6.23, it says, The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But the gift of God, sin deserves death, but God, instead of giving us death, gives us this wonderful gift, this amazing gift of eternal life. So instead of eternal death in hell separated from God, we get eternal life in heaven with God. And that is the gift that Jesus Christ gives to us. I love what Paul wrote in Romans 7, 24 through 25. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. God has chosen to rescue us. He has chosen to redeem us. Jesus Christ took the punishment for our sins. When he went to the cross, when they drove nails in his wrists, when they drove nails in his feet, they stuck a spear in his side, they put a crown of thorns on his head, and he did all of that so that our sins could be forgiven that was the punishment the bible says that without the shedding of blood there can be no forgiveness jesus shed his blood so that our sins could be forgiven in first john chapter 2 verse 2 john wrote he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours but also for the sins of the whole world jesus didn't die just for good people he didn't die for just the people in this room he didn't die just for people who are in rooms like this all over the country, all over the world. Jesus died for everybody. He died for the sins of everyone. And all those sins that we commit from, the most, from what seems to us to be the most menial uh, all the way up to what seems to be us the most tremendous, horrible, awful things that you could ever do, Jesus died for all those sins. If we will accept his offer of forgiveness, he will forgive us. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 5 says he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. We are healed spiritually by the wounds that that were inflicted on Jesus. Jesus Christ died for our sins. He is our savior. 2 Corinthians 5:21 says, "God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God." Jesus took our place. We deserved the cross, but Jesus took our place, and he suffered in our place, and he took the punishment in our place so that we could be saved and we could be forgiven. That is what Jesus did for us. You know, Jesus went to the cross. He took that, he took the nails, he took the spear, he took the crown, and he did it all for us. And a lot of people say, "You know what? God's not fair." How many of you have ever heard somebody say that? You ever heard anybody say, "You know, God just it's just not fair that God would do that?" It's just not fair that God would, would cause someone to suffer needlessly. Someone who's innocent has to suffer. And, and it's just not the way God works and the way God operates. It, it's just not fair. You know what? It's, God isn't fair. Because what is fair and what is just is that we be punished for our sins. That the sins that we commit, that we be held accountable, that we be held responsible for our own sins. God isn't fair. Because what's fair is that we deserve death. But what we get is life. Because Jesus died for us. You know what? God's not fair. And I am eternally thankful that he's not. When it comes to my forgiveness. When it comes to my salvation. That I don't deserve. But Jesus gives me that wonderful gift of eternal life. The the uh, next blank on your outline... Jesus was raised from the dead. Jesus was raised from the dead in Romans chapter 10 verse 9 Paul wrote if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved I don't want to steal the thunder of Resurrection Sunday but I'm going to steal the thunder of Resurrection Sunday next week is Resurrection Sunday and we're going to talk a lot about how Jesus Christ is no longer dead that he was raised from the dead that he was brought back to life by the power of God through the power of the Holy Spirit God raised him from the dead that though he was dead and he really was dead you did not you did not suffer through crucifixion and, and somehow Make it through alive when they ripped your flesh and and they beat you within an inch of your life, and then they nailed you to a cross. You really did die, and so Jesus really did die on that cross, but he did not stay dead. You can go to the tombs of of, you could search every grave and every tomb across this country and across this world. You can go to every tomb, and you could you will find a body in every single one, but you will not find a body in. In the tomb that held Jesus for three days. Because Jesus was raised from the dead. He was brought back to life. And he was seen by hundreds of people. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. He was raised back to life. And he is alive to this day. He ascended into heaven. And he sits at the right hand of the Father in power and glory. And he is coming back. He is going to return with power and glory. We'll talk about that in just a second. As we talk about the book of Daniel for a moment. But I want you to know that you can go to every tomb across this world and you will not find one that contains the body of Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and he is alive. Jesus is alive forever and ever and ever. So Jesus Christ, he is the Christ. He is the son of God. He is our savior. I'm sorry, Jesus is our savior. Now I want to talk about how Jesus is the son of God. We see that he is the one who paid the price for our sins. That he is the one who, who uh, took the punishment that we deserve. And he suffered in our place and now we can be forgiven. But he is also the son of God. The reason that his sacrifice was effective in taking away our sins is because he is divine. He truly is God. He is the son of God. And first I want to look at the, the titles that were given to Jesus. First is son of God. In Malachi chapter 3 verse 1. He's, uh, Malachi wrote, see, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. He's talking about, he's prophesying John the Baptist. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. And he's talking about Jesus, that John the Baptist was going to come. He was the messenger. Jesus was going to come after him. He was the Messiah. So you had John as the messenger. Jesus is the Messiah. And the Bible talks about how Jesus is the Son of God in John chapter five verse eighteen, it drove the uh, the the Pharisees and the chief priests and the people who opposed Jesus. He, he he drove them bonkers because he claimed things that to their ears were blasphemous. He claimed to be God's Son in John five eighteen. John writes, for this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus claimed to be the son of God. The chief priests, when Jesus was on trial, said to Jesus, they said to him, tell us if it is true. Are you the Christ, the son of God? And Jesus looked at them and he said, yes, it is as you say. Jesus was confirming, he was affirming the fact that, yes, he is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. He is divine. Acts chapter 9 verse 20 talks about, Acts chapter 9 talks about Saul's conversion when he became the Apostle Paul. And in verse 20 it says that he immediately went to go and to proclaim and to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And it's so important to understand that Jesus is divine. He's not just a man. He's not just some guy who lived, you know, 2000 years ago and a bunch of people follow him to, you know, have followed him through the years and follow him today. Jesus is the son of God. He is divine. Jesus is God. One of his other titles is the son of man. In fact, that was Jesus' favorite way to refer to himself, was as the Son of Man. And it comes from Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. This is what Daniel wrote. He says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a Son of Man, one who was like a Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days. God the Father and was led into his presence. He, the Son of Man, was given authority, Glory and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Jesus saw himself in that passage from Daniel as the one who was like a son of man, and he called himself son of man over and over and over again, as the one who would be coming on the clouds with power and glory. And there is coming a day, there is coming a day when we will see that. Whether we pass away or whether we're alive when it happens, we will see that Jesus will come on the clouds with power and glory with the angels of heaven. And the dead in Christ will rise first, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And the dead in Christ will rise and we will meet the Lord in the air and we will be with the Lord forever. And that is the, the, the message, that is the thought that we are to encourage each other with as we see the days growing nearer. As Jesus' return comes, draws draws closer and closer and closer. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, as he refers to himself and over and over and over again. In Matthew chapter twelve, verse eighteen, he talks about how he is the Son of Man. In Mark chapter two, in Mark chapter eight, in Mark chapter thirteen, he talks about how he is the Son of Man. He saw himself as the Son of Man, for that is who he was. The third title of Jesus is Kyrios. K-U-R-I-O-S. It is a Greek word that means Lord. Jesus is Lord. In the Old Testament, there was a, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, uh, but uh, there was a Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. And in the Septuagint, the, the Hebrew word Yahweh, which is the most personal name of God, the, the, the Hebrew word Yahweh is translated as kurios in the Greek. 6,000 times, the word kurios refers to Yahweh. In the New Testament, the word kurios refers to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is God. He is Lord. The Bible refers to him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is God. He's not just some man. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a, 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 a moral example. Jesus is God. He is Lord. Paul's favorite, the only way that the Apostle Paul ever referred, to, the only one he ever referred to as Lord, as Kurios in the New Testament and all the letters he wrote, was when he referred to Jesus. No one else is Lord, only Jesus. So we read about the divine nature of Jesus and we see that Jesus is identified as God. That's the next blank on your outline. That the Bible identifies Jesus as God. In Hebrews, uh, I'm sorry, in Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3, it talks about John the Baptist and Jesus once again. It says a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. John the Baptist was the one in the wilderness proclaiming Jesus as Lord and Jesus as God the Bible identifies Jesus as God Hebrews chapter 1 verses 8 through 12 but about the son Jesus he says your throne O God will last forever and ever and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness therefore God your God has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy he also says in the beginning O Lord you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands they will perish but you remain they will all wear out like a garment you will roll them up like a robe like a garment they will be changed but you remain the same and your years will never end the author of hebrews is quoting the book of psalms and in the book of psalms it talks about yahweh that is referring to yahweh in the book of hebrews it is referring to jesus in other words jesus is god i cannot say that enough in john chapter 1 verse 1 it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god Jesus is the word, the logos, and he is God. Do I need to say it one more time? Jesus is God. God. Jesus is God. Don't ask me to explain how it all works because I don't understand the inner workings of the Trinity. And like I told the group yesterday, yesterday, I may not understand all the workings of the internal combustion engine, but I know when I put my key in the car and I turn it, my car comes on. I can't explain how it works but I know it works. I can't explain how Jesus is God, but I know that he is God. For the Bible identifies him as God. In Joel chapter 2, verse 32, it says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That verse is quoted t- three times in the New Testament. In Acts 2.21, Romans 10, verse 9, and Romans 10, verse 13. And it refers to Jesus. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. Because Jesus is god the bible identifies him as god the bible identifies that he has a divine nature and finally the bible in the bible jesus is worshipped as god in the old testament god said you shall have no other gods before me in other words you shall not worship any idol made of stone or gold or or metal you shall not worship anyone but me only god is worthy of worship only god is worthy of worship And yet, in John chapter 9, verse 38, Jesus heals a blind man. And when the blind man could see, he worshipped Jesus as God. The angels worshipped Jesus on the night of his birth. The shepherds came and they worshipped Jesus on the night of his birth. In Revelation chapter 5, we see that the angels bow down before him and they worship him as God. It's because Jesus is God. Again, I cannot stress it enough. Jesus is God. Only God is to be worshipped. And in the Bible over and over and over again, we see that Jesus is worshipped because Jesus is God. One other way that we know that Jesus is the Son of God is the virgin birth, the virgin birth of Jesus. Isaiah said that the Messiah, that the Messiah would be born of a virgin, and they would call him Emmanuel. Prince of Peace, Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting God. Jesus would be born of a virgin. And, it's, and the, the concept of the virgin birth is so important because as uh, it, it proves that Jesus is the Son of God. For only a divine being as Christ could be fathered by God. He had an earthly mother. Meaning he, had, he was fully human, but he had a heavenly father. Meaning that he was fully divine. Jesus was fully God and fully man. And because he was fully God, because he was fully man, he could be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. That's the big so what. So what? Does it really matter that we believe that Jesus is God? Does it really matter that we believe that Jesus died is our savior and that Jesus is the son of God? What I mean, does that really matter? Absolutely. It matters. Absolutely. It is essential to our belief that we believe that Jesus is God and that Jesus is the son of God and that Jesus is our savior. The Bible says that there is no other name given to men by which they can be saved other than the name of Jesus. It is only through Jesus Christ that we can be saved. In the book of John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It is only through Jesus Christ that we can be saved. Only through Christ that we can be saved. And it is because he is the perfect sacrifice for our sins. He, in his physical body, in his earthly nature... He is a full human being who could pay the price for for the sins of humanity, a human life for humanity, and as God, he was perfect, he was blameless, he was sinless, and he was the unblemished Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We sang that earlier, by the grace of the Lamb, my soul has been set free. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away our sins. Everything we've ever done wrong, every thought we've ever, every impure thought, every word from our mouth that is unpleasing to God, every action of our bodies that is disobedient to Him, in which we reject and rebel against Him. All of that sin, everything we've done can be taken away, can be washed away. We can be made clean by his blood. It is the substitutionary atonement. He took the punishment for our sins. And he died for your sins. And he died for your sins. He died for your sins. And everybody in the balcony, he died for all of your sins. He died for your sins and he died for my sins. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. And the blood of bulls and goats is ineffective in taking away the sins of humanity. And yet it was the perfect human sacrifice, Jesus Christ, who willingly went to the cross and prayed, not my will, but your will be done. And he went to the cross and he suffered and he died for us. Why do they call it Good Friday? Because the best possible good came out of it. The shedding of blood For the forgiveness of our sins. But you got to remember. you got to remember. He didn't stay dead. God raised him from the dead. And he brought him back to life. And Jesus is alive today. We'll talk more about that next week. I want you to come back. Come to the 9 o'clock. Come to the 1030. Whenever you want to be here. We want you here next Sunday. To talk about how Jesus is alive. The story is told by John Ortberg. He's a pastor and author. Who uh, uh, His wife was speaking at Azusa Pacific University at their commencement exercises. And uh, he was at a dinner beforehand where they were going to honor some students. And there were three students who had volunteered to to go to India and live in poverty, in abject poverty, and serve the poor people in India. The president of the university called them in, these three students, and said, we're so proud of you, and we want to honor you. We're so thankful for what you're going to do, and we want you to know that an anonymous donor is so proud of you and is so pleased with what you're going to do that he has volunteered, this anonymous donor has volunteered to pay your debt. To the first student, he says, you owe $105,000. Your debt is canceled. To the second student, he said, you owe $70,000. Your debt is canceled. To the third student, he said, you owe $130,000. Your debt is canceled. The debt that we owe, the debt of sin for the sins that we have committed, is far greater than any monetary amount could ever pay. And the good news is that we can't buy it. We can't earn it. We can't be good enough for it. We can't do enough good deeds for it. It is a free gift. Those students had no idea that 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 gift was coming. And in the same way, God offers a wonderful gift to cancel the debt of sin that we have committed. He will wash the slate clean. He will... He will cancel your debt and you can live free from the bondage of sin. How do you do that? How do you accept this gift? If I were to give you a gift, if I were to go up to my brother right now and I had a gift and I wanted to give him a gift and I gave him like, a, like was, you know, here's an envelope, you know, and I said, here's a gift. No, it's not money. But if, if I were to give him a gift and he took the gift and he said, well, hey, thanks, Sean, and he put it in his pocket. And he forgot about it, and he never opened it up. Did he receive my gift? No. I mean, he got the gift. He, he, he had the opportunity to open the gift, but he never did. So the gift is worthless. Jesus Christ has offered you a gift. It is the gift of forgiveness and the gift of eternal life. How are you going to open that gift? This wonderful gift of God's grace is opened by faith. By putting your faith and trust in Christ and saying, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. It is given, It is a gift that is received by repentance to say, God, I can't do this on my own. I can't make it. I need to turn to you. And we turn to God for forgiveness. It is a gift that is received by confession, by publicly saying, I do believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. In Romans 10:9 it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then we receive this gift at the moment, of, it's when we're baptized. When we come to Christ and we say, God, I will obey you. I will do what you have commanded. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, baptizing all nations in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so we offer you this invitation today. If you've never been baptized, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, and you're thinking, man, this makes sense. This I get this. I, I want this. We invite you to come forward today. We're going to sing a song of invitation in just a moment. And we want you to come forward. If today is your day, if today is the day, if now is the time, we invite you to do that. Do not wait another day. Do not wait another hour. Do not wait another minute. Now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. The door is open. The water is ready. The water is warm. We have ropes to you put, for you to put out. We have, we have towels that you can dry off with. We, I think we even have a hair dryer if you're you know, in need of that. But we do not want this opportunity to pass you by. We want you to experience the life-changing grace and love of God that he offers through his son Jesus. Are you ready? Is today your day? And if so, we invite you to come forward after we pray. Thank you, Father, for the gift of your Son, how you sent your Son, Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, to come and dwell among us, to be more than just an example, to be more than just a prophet or a teacher, but to be our Savior, the one, the only one who can save us from our sins, the perfect sacrifice who takes away the sins of the world, the Lamb of God. Thank you, Father God, for, for cleansing us from our sins, for washing us and purifying us. I pray today for those who've never accepted your offer of forgiveness and ask that, God, I pray that seeds have been planted and that ideas have been, have been cultivated and, and that, God, if today is the day that someone would make that decision and that choice. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to be free and forgiven. We pray this in Jesus' name.